0: Hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is good to see you this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, this morning to James chapter 2. James, in the New Testament, right-hand side of your Bible, James chapter 2. We're learning how to understand God. That's pretty significant. We're learning how to understand God in context from his Bible. This is one of the things that Christians must learn to do, must spend the time to do, and that is to understand what God has said in his Bible. This is a skill set that every Christian needs to develop in their life. Yes, it takes time. God's spoken that's a good thing. He didn't have to. God wasn't obligated to tell us anything. He wasn't obligated to reveal anything to us at all. and here he has revealed godly truth that we wouldn't know otherwise. that's a good thing but now he expects to be understood, and it does take work, and it does take time to understand him and his word. Here's my analogy for the time that it takes to understand God's word. Now, remember, analogies only go so far. You can't take them to the very end. But here's my analogy for the amount of work and time that it takes to understand God and his Bible. Uh, one Sunday, my daughter Noelle and I, we standing out... Um, Uh, saying goodbye to all the families that were leaving after second service. Noelle, she spends a lot of time with kids. First service she teaches in her kids' ministry. Through the school year, she babysits kids on evenings and weekends, and in the summer, she babysits kids as much as she she can. And so we're out saying goodbye to all the families that are leaving. And there was uh, one family with two toddlers in it, and the toddlers were having a conversation with the parents. And, of course, the parents spend a lot of time with toddlers because they're parents of toddlers. And so as they're walking out, the toddlers are having a conversation with the parents, and I cannot understand a single word those toddlers are saying. And so I lean over to Noel, and I said, What kind of alien language are those kids speaking? And to my surprise, the parents responded to those toddlers in a language that I could understand English. So apparently these parents could speak two languages. They could speak English and alien toddler. (laughs) Then, Noel, my daughter, starts to interpret the toddler conversation for me in an English, in a language that I can understand in English. So how could that be? How could the parents understand the toddlers? How could Noel interpret alien toddler, but I couldn't understand them? Because they spend time with toddlers, because they understand that there are some nuances to alien toddler. They can pick up on the little verbal cues that are dropped because they spend so much time with them, and I don't have that skill because I don't spend any time with them. And understanding God in his Bible is kind of like that. I'm not saying that God in his Bible is toddler speak. I'm just saying that it takes time. It takes work to understand. The more time that we spend with God in this Bible, the easier it will be to pick up the verbal cues, the contextual cues to help us understand what he says in it. So this is one of the skills that a Christian needs to develop over their lifetime. To understand God. He's spoken. That's a good thing. I'm glad he did. I think you're here because you're glad that he has spoken in his word, but now he expects us to understand it. And so the purpose of this series is to give us a little bit of practice, to give us some tools to do just that. So the question for today is, is our faith dead without works? Is our faith dead without works? And you might not be sure exactly how to answer that one because... You're thinking that, yeah, no, no, there's no works involved in my salvation. But you also know there's some verse somewhere that says something about faith being dead without works. So you're not exactly sure how to answer that one. Well, of course, this comes from the age-old debated passage in James chapter 2. So let's read this passage, James 2, beginning at verse 14. Let's see how James words this. It says, "'What use is it, my brethren?' If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And so this passage has led to a lot Of confusing conclusions. So much so that there are some scholars that pit James, the author of what we're reading here, pit James against other authors of Scripture like Paul, where you have to pick James or you have to pick Paul. Now, before we get into this passage completely, I want to remind you what I've taught you to discover how you know that something is in context. So the first thing that you do to discover a passage in context and know what it's being said in context so we don't misunderstand God is to read the entire book, read the entire thing. Now, I know that's work. <laughs> that's a lot of work. We're only trying to find one verse here, even a portion of a verse. Faith, if it has no works, is dead. We're trying to find out what verse 17 is all about. And I want you to read the entire book because the entire book gives you a, a context, it helps you know who the players are, who he's writing to, what other political or social movements are occurring at the time. Is this written to a, 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 a church? Is this written to an individual person? Is this written to where, where are these people or where is this person? What are they going through? What emotional, emotional stresses are they going through? Are they a Christian? Are they not? Yeah, how are you going to know any of those things unless you read the entire book? But I get it, it does take work. This is one of the skills that a Christian needs to develop is understanding God and his Bible. Now, let me give you a little cheat sheet. If you aren't willing to put in that work, here's the cheat sheet. At least, please, read a few verses before the passage and read a few verses after the passage. At least that will protect you from misunderstanding what God says. So after you read the entire book, then you ask the question, what did it mean to them? What did it mean to them? I know you want to ask the question, what does this mean to me? But we're not there yet. Remember that the Bible was not written to you. The Bible was not written to us. The Bible wasn't written to 2023 or 2024, the 21st century. It wasn't written to us. It was written to a specific group of people at a specific time. It was written for us. It was written for our benefit, but it wasn't written to us. This is where most context is misunderstood right here. And so you ask, what was the intended message to these people? Now, the people that he is talking to here are Jews who had become Christians, and they experienced such severe persecution from the Jewish religious culture, and then the Roman secular culture, so much pressure that they had to run, that they had to scatter. This is written to Christians who were all scattered around the known world at the time. But you wouldn't have known that unless you read James 1.1. And so the question is, is, what was the intended message to these people? What did the author want them to know? What did he want them to do? What does this mean to them? And then finally, you can ask the question that you really want to ask, well, what does that mean to me? Is there something here that transcends time, that transcends the specific culture the first century and these Christians that have been spread abroad? Is there some truth here that ex- extends through time to all people, to all, through all of time, all the way to 2024? And... That is the universal truth that then you can understand and you can learn from and you can apply. And so let's do that. Now, we're not going to read the entire book. I've done that for you. But at least let's read some verses that are around it so that we can understand this a little better. Go back to James. Let's look at verse 14 again. We'll get a running start here. Verse 14, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Now let's keep reading. Verse 18. Some context. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But you are, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messenger's and it sent them out by another way for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead so now already reading those extra verses we already have at least a little better understanding of this passage this is a comparison this is a comparison from of dead faith and a living faith a dormant faith and a, a faith that is alive, a, a faith that can be seen. The first verses, verses 14 to seventeen are the dead faith, and then verse 18 down to verse 26, are the comparison of a dead faith to a living faith, alive faith. So the question is, is our faith dead without works? Well, let's go back to verse. 17 or verse 14 and let's learn what the intended message is here james 2 verse 14 says what is, what use is it my brethren if someone says he has faith but has no works can that faith save him someone who says that they have faith in christ they may actually have a saving faith but equally a person who says that they have faith in Christ, they may not really have a faith in Christ. And maybe you've known someone like that. Maybe you went to church with someone when you were younger, and you knew them pretty well. You knew the, the, them outside of church as well. And so you knew that they said that they were a Christian, and yet you saw the rest of the life that they lived, and there was nothing about their life that was anything about Christianity at all. Maybe you've known someone like this who says that they have faith, Maybe it's someone that you work with right now. Maybe someone at work. They know that you're a Christian, so they talk to you about all these Christiany things. They say that they're a Christian all the time with you. But then, in all of their other conversations around work, all the other conversations are immoral. They, they're lazy at work. They joke about cheating on their spouse. They get drunk every weekend. And yet, they say that they're a Christian. Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe it's your neighbor. They go to church. They have the church's bumper sticker on their their car. They may leave about the same time that you do. When you come to church, they might get back from church about the same time that you get back. And so they say that they are. And yet every summer when all the windows are open, you can hear them cussing out their kids every single day. Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe you've done it in the past. Maybe when you were younger, you told your parents that you were a Christian just because you thought that they would like that. And that's sweet. Child just wanting to make their parents happy with them. People do this all the time. Maybe you found a boy or a girl that you kind of like, but you knew that they were looking for someone who was a Christian. And so you just said that you were because you wanted to date them. You wanted to be their boyfriend, you wanted to be their girlfriend, so you just said that you were so that you could. This is common, very common, that people say that they're Christians to get what they want. I went to a Christian college, and one of the requirements of the Christian college was that you signed a statement of faith. And that just meant that you signed a document that, that stated that you understood the gospel, and that you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you have put your faith in Christ. And you signed it at the bottom. You even had to write a, another page about your testimony, this, the story of how you'd put your faith in Christ and him being your personal Savior. Let me just say that there were students, some students at that college who said that they were Christians. But there was nothing about their life that would say that they were Christians at all. They just said they wanted to get in the college. And so... Maybe you've done this. Maybe you've said that you're a Christian to help fix your marriage. Maybe you've said that you're a Christian to maybe be the silver bullet to uh, solve your teenager's problems and have them straighten up. This is not uncommon at all. I've mentioned to you that sometimes we have people come on, come to our church door and ask for money. And as long as they're willing to talk, we're happy to talk with them. Uh, we talk to them about Jesus. I mean, that's the whole reason they knocked on a church's door. They didn't know it, but we'll talk about Jesus. And, and often in that conversation, it's really good because there are a lot of people who are Christians. And, and they'll talk to us about how they're Christians and they, they pray a lot and read their Bible sometimes. Maybe you can identify with that. And finally, though, in that conversation, we get around to, well, we just don't hand money out at the door. If you're hungry, we're happy to find it, help you find some food. If you need a place to sleep, we can happily help you with that, but we don't hand out money at the door. And it's right there that some of the Christians all of a sudden start cussing me out. They threaten my life. They give me some new information about my mom that I didn't know. You know, you get the idea. And the whole point is is that the same thing was happening in the first century. The same in the first century is the same as today. It's possible that Someone who says that they have faith in Christ may not actually have that saving faith. And so that's why James rhetorically asks in verse 14, can that faith save him? And the implied answer to that is no. Just saying that you have faith in Christ doesn't mean that you're really saved. Now, those are the right words, though, because salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. God has come to earth in the flesh on Christmas Day, born of a virgin Mary, never sins as he lives lives his life, and then he's dying on the cross. That's kind of confusing because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Of course, Jesus is dying on a cross, but he never sinned. He's not dying for his own sin. Whose sin is he dying for? He's dying for my sin. and He's dying for your sin. And the Bible tells us that any person that puts their belief, their trust, their faith in the death of Jesus, that he is their Savior, that his death applies in that person's life, that the, the, the judgment that is raining down on Christ and that cross is really raining down upon my sin. And that's how my sin can be forgiven, because it's been dealt with. That's why my sin can be washed away, because it's been dealt with on the cross, And so, it is by faith that a person can be saved and have the hope of going to heaven. That's There's no works involved in that. There's not a single work that we did for that. There's not a single thing that we did. We didn't pray and ask God to send us a Savior. The Bible says that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. While we were sinning, Christ died for us. We didn't even ask for help. And yet, God provided help. We didn't even assemble the cross. And yet... We receive salvation, His righteousness, eternity in heaven. God the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us all as a result of that faith. And the point that James is making is is that this faith in Christ is not a dormant faith. It's not a dead one. That this faith in Christ is going to produce something. The words that James uses is, It's going to produce good works. The Apostle Paul uses a different phrase. He says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Paul would say when you have faith in Christ, genuine, you're going to have a changed life. Jesus says it like this. You will know them by their fruit. You'll know them, but you'll know someone by their fruit. James uses the word good works. Paul uses the phrase a new life. Jesus says that you're going to know Christians by their fruit, and that's true. We aren't judges of people. We can't can't judge someone's sin and send them to heaven or hell. I'm not your judge. That's a good thing. You don't want me to be your judge. I can be pretty judgy. And, And you aren't my judge, and that's a good thing, because you're pretty judgy too. But God in heaven is our judge. He's the only one that can do that, and that's a good thing. I don't want to be your judge, and you don't want to be mine, but God in heaven is the judge. But Jesus says, you will know them by your fruits. He says to all of us who are non-judges, he says, but you can tell those people who have a genuine saving faith in Christ. You will know them by their fruit. A new life that comes from Jesus Christ. Good works from James. And so then he gives an example of this. That's the next few verses. An example of this, verse 15. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, well, what use is that? Now, remember, this is an example of someone who says that they have faith in Christ, but they really don't. And so here's the example. Someone who says that they have compassion, but they really don't. Is it compassionate if you say that you have compassion, but really have no compassion? No. That's a a dead compassion. There's no life in that compassion. You just said you did, but you really don't have it. That's the example. Verse 17 Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Faith that isn't revealed by fruit, faith that isn't revealed by a changed life, faith that isn't revealed by, as James says, good works, then that wasn't a saving faith. I don't know what it was. But that's not a genuine saving faith. It's something else. It's a dead faith. It's not a a genuine faith. And so this first section here, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, is all about a dead faith. And let's be clear here. It's dead not because they didn't do good works. It's dead because they never had a genuine heart change towards Christ. They never genuinely had faith. It was only revealed to us on the outside later on when there was no life change. It was only revealed to us when there is no fruit. It's only revealed to us when there are no good resulting works from that. Now, God knew immediately The day that that person said that they had faith in Christ and they really didn't, God already knew. Nope, they don't. But we didn't know it. We found out when there was no fruit. We found out when there weren't good works. It was just revealed to us when we didn't see a changed life. These first verses are about a dead faith. And now James moves to a living faith. And the comparison between a dead faith and a faith that is alive, a faith that is not dormant, a faith that is living. Verse 18 says, "But but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. And the main point here is that the true evidence of a saving faith is a changed life. The evidence of genuine salvation, the evidence of a saving faith, the evidence of God's Holy Spirit living inside a person is good works. The evidence, according to Jesus, is fruit, a changed life, good works. Sometimes we say here around Grace Community Church, we don't do good things to get to heaven. We do good things because we are going to heaven. That's the nuance. That's the difference. The good works don't get anybody to heaven. The good works come as a result of a saving faith that got you to heaven. Now you're changed in a new life, and now you have fruit. Now you have good works. Verse 19. You believe that God is one? You do well. Demons also believe and shudder. Did you know that demons know biblical doctrine? Did you know that? Demons know about God the Father. Demons know about God, Jesus Christ, God the Son. Jesus, or demons know about God the Holy Spirit, and they hate them, and they're going to hell. So a saving faith does not come from what you know. You can answer all the right questions on a Bible test and still not have a genuine saving faith. You can still just be saying that you have a faith and you don't really have that faith. Verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Foolish. It is foolish. That, that is a Greek word that just means vain. Um, it's a waste. It is foolish to claim to be a Christian and not really have the saving faith. It's foolish. it's foolish to say that you have faith in God and not really even be going to heaven. That's pretty useless. That's pretty, that's pretty va- it's pretty useless to, to claim that you have compassion and not have the compassion. That's useless. That's, that's, that's vain. There's, there's, why even do that? It's useless to claim that you have Disneyland season passes. It's useless to claim that you were a season ticket holder to Disneyland and yet not have the tickets. That's useless. You don't even get to go on Space Mountain. You just said you could, but why? Why why would you even say that? It's useless. You don't get the benefit of what you said. It's useless. It's foolish to say that you have faith in Christ and that not really be the case. So the next verses here, verse 21 to 26, are examples of a living faith, examples of this. So we have three examples. We have Abraham, we have Rahab, and the best one, the living body, okay? So let's start with verse 21, which is Abraham. Abraham is the first example of this. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. Remember, this This is when Abraham took his son Isaac to, to follow God's commands up the hill to offer him as a sacrifice on the top of that mountain. And James is saying that when Abraham took him up, that is the evidence of Abraham's faith. That offering Isaac up on the mountain isn't what saved him. That was the evidence that he already had faith. The faith had already occurred, and now we see the evidence of it up on the mountain. Verse 22. You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Oh, that's a good word. Faith was perfected. Perfected means bringing something to fulfillment. Like when a a tree has an orange hanging on it that's perfected sometimes the word here is translated proved perfected proved i have an orange tree in my backyard because i planted it during covid isn't that what we all did in our backyard we did one of two things we either planted things in our backyard or we made sourdough bread (laughs) (laughs) we're probably like equally divided in this room well, I was going stir crazy real fast during COVID, and I don't know, by the end of February or the beginning of March of 2020, put an orange tree in the back corner of my yard. I just needed something to do. There has not been an orange on that COVID tree ever since. And so... Just this last beginning of winter, I told Tanya, okay, that tree's coming out. If I don't see any oranges in spring this year, you know what? There are three oranges on that tree right now. The tree must have heard me. I got I to gotta do something. Push out a couple oranges just to, just to live a little bit longer. So when the orange popped out, the orange didn't make it an orange tree. The orange just proved that it has always been an orange tree. The orange perfected the orange tree. It didn't make it an orange tree. It didn't used to be an apple tree when an orange came. Okay, then it changed. The orange was the proof. It was the perfection of that orange tree. Abraham's like that. Abraham's an orange tree. When he climbed up that mountain with his son, that was the orange. that You could see it was the evidence That Abraham had always been, had always had that belief, has always had that faith. Let's keep reading verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Well, that word reckoned is another interesting word. That's a quote from the Old Testament. That word reckoned is a bookkeeping term, which means to place on someone's account or to place on someone else's account. And that's the message of Scripture. That when a person has faith in Christ, that person's sins are put on Jesus' account. He pays for them. And at the exact same time then, Jesus' righteousness is reckoned to us. Jesus' righteousness is placed on our account, Romans says it like this, it is credited to him as righteousness. In the Old Testament, it gives much more beautiful picture language. In the Old Testament, it says that that we are wrapped in Jesus' robes of righteousness. It just means that we are are credited with Jesus' righteousness as he is is reckoned or reconciled with our sin on the cross. We are reconciled to Christ. We, he takes our sin, and we get his righteousness. What a beautiful picture. That's exactly what happened to Abraham. Abraham was saved 25 years before he climbed up that mountain with his son. He was saved 25 years earlier. Think of this. This is an interesting thought. What if Abraham died before he ever had a chance to take his son up the mountain? What if Abraham died within those 25 years from when he had faith to when he was going to take his son up the mountain? What if he died before he did that? What if he didn't ever have the the chance to have the good works? Would he still be saved? Yes, yes. Because it's not the orange that makes the tree. Because he already had the saving faith, him walking up the mountain just perfected, it proved, it revealed the faith that he had already had 20 years earlier. Now, like I said, there's some scholars that right here pop in. Some scholars pop in right here with Romans chapter 3, 28. And they'll say, but Paul says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so they'll say, okay, so which one is it? Which one one do you believe? Paul says it's without works. James says there's works. Which one is it? Are you a James Christian? Are you a Paul Christian? And they want you to pick. But that's the wrong question. It's the wrong question to ask which one is right don't let anybody ever force you to have to choose between one author of Scripture and another author of Scripture. Don't let anyone force you to do that because they are always in agreement. They never contradict each other. The, that's the wrong question to ask who's right? Paul, no works? James, works? That's the wrong question. The right question is is it possible that both are true? Is that possible? Is it possible that a genuine saving faith cannot come from works, but that saving faith then would produce good works? Is that possible? Jesus would say, yeah, that's possible. That's the fruit. Paul would say, yeah, that's possible. That's the changed life. And James would say, yeah, that's possible. That's the good works. Both are true. Paul and James are not fighting with each other. They aren't enemies. As a matter of fact, they are standing back to back on the same topic but from the opposite perspective. See, Paul is defending how someone is saved, how they are saved. No works involved. It is simply by God's grace that we are saved. It is Jesus' death on the cross, no works involved. I didn't do anything to be saved by Jesus Christ. Uh, James is defending, okay, what happens to that Christian after they're saved? Now they're going to show a changed life. Now they're going to show fruit. Now they're going to show good works. That's how those two work together. And so James is not contradicting Paul. Paul. As a matter of fact, James agrees with Paul. Look back at the passage. Look back at the verse, verse 23, and it says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Man, if there is not a clearer picture of someone being saved anywhere, I don't know what it is. All Abraham did was belief. All he had was the faith. That's it. He didn't do a single thing. He didn't walk up a single mountain. All he did was believe. And now he has the saving faith. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Righteousness was placed on his account, not as an aspect of him walking up the mountain with the sun. It was placed on his account as an aspect of his belief, his faith. So, Paul and James, they agree. Jesus and Paul and James, they're all on the same page in this. Now, remember, these are examples. So, we have... The example of Abraham as an example of someone who says they have faith and they really have it, and so it's on display for all to see in this changed life with this fruit, with these good works. The next example is a different one, Rahab, verse 25. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? All right. So this is a completely different scenario. Abraham, he's a godly man. Even before he was a godly man, Abraham was a pretty moral moral dude. But now we get to Rahab. Not so much. Rahab was obviously a woman, so different in that way, but she was a Gentile. Uh, She was a pagan, and she was a prostitute. And yet she's remembered in Scripture multiple times for her faith. Now, this is referring to a thing that happened in the Old Testament. Hebrews mentions it here. It says, By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And the point of James here is that Rahab's faith was demonstrated by the way she treated some of his God's people. Rahab wasn't saved. She didn't, she didn't gain her faith by treating those spies well. God didn't say, Oh, finally, Rahab, you've become good enough. I'm finally gonna welcome you into heaven because you treated those two spies well. That's not what's happening. There was the good works didn't produce the faith. The faith that she already had produced this good work, this fruit of being helpful to God's people. So we have these examples. We have Abraham. We have Rahab. And then we have the last one, the best one, the human body. Verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead is dead. A body that's alive gives evidence that it's alive. Your hearts are beating. Your lungs are lunging. I don't know what they... Breathing. You drank a little too much coffee and your bladder is beginning to bladdering, and I'm taking so long, and you want me to finish soon? And all of those things are evidences that your body is alive. But then think of the body that's in a casket. has all the body parts, but it is not giving any evidence that it's alive. It would be foolish of that body to say I'm alive when there is no breath in its lungs. It would be foolish. It would be a waste to say I'm alive and yet my heart not beating. It's useless. It's vain. Uh, Of course, he's dead, so he can't say anything. That'd, That'd be a waste. That'd be foolish for a dead body to say that. And the same is true with a Christian's faith, a person's faith. When they put their faith in Christ, it is going to produce a live faith. And if there is no life, then it's just a dead faith. It's just claims. It's just a statement. It's not really true because there's no life behind it. So the question is, is our faith dead without works? And the answer is yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that the way that that God meant it here through Paul, or through uh, James, yes, in the way that God intended it, a genuine saving faith is going to produce fruit. A genuine saving faith is going to produce a changed life. A genuine saving faith is going to produce good works. That it's going to be proved by the faith that comes. This is the way that John puts it in 1 John. It says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. That sounds like someone we're talking about here. They say that they do, but they're a liar. They really don't. But if we walk in the light to see himself as He himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. So is our faith dead without works? Yeah, it's a dead faith. If there's no evidence of the saving faith, then there was no saving faith at the beginning. A person's good works, they don't, they don't save them. Rahab wasn't saved by the way that she treated the spies. Abraham wasn't saved by, the, by him taking his son up the mountain. A, a body doesn't come alive by all of a sudden the, the bladder starting working. That's not the way that it works. And so here we have all these people in the New Testament all concurring on the same topic. Jesus concurs, Paul concurs, James concurs, John concurs, Peter concurs. They all concur on the same topic. That when there's a changed life, there's, when there's a, a, a changed faith, changed belief in Christ, there's going to be a changed life. Faith in Christ means fruit. Faith in Christ means new good works. So, is our faith dead without works? Well, in that sense, yes. But also, the answer is no. Just because there's no good works does not mean that that person is not saved by faith. Think about that for a minute. Just because there's no good works doesn't mean that they're not saved by faith. When Jesus was dying on the cross, There was a criminal on each side of him on his right and his left. Roman crucifixion was brutal. It took time. It it wasn't like the death penalty of today. Quiet, no, no pain, quick, done and over. It's not like that. Crucifixion took hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And so when those men were first hoisted up on those crosses, they were all able to talk, and the three of them, Jesus and the two criminals, they had a conversation between the three of them. And the one of the criminals couldn't stand Jesus, (laughs) mocked Jesus, uh, made fun of him. He was not interested in Jesus' claims at all. And yet, the criminal on the other side, he believed. He had faith. And Aren't you glad, when Jesus was on that cross, talking to that criminal, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, you know, I, I can tell you have some faith there, now all you need to do is you need to do some good works. So you need to stop cussing, you need to go apologize to your boss for stealing the printer paper, and you need to give 10% to Grace Community Church. And once you do that, now your faith is proved and you can go to heaven. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say that? He had no time. He had no ability to go do any good works. You know what Jesus said to him? I'm going to see you in paradise today. Because his faith saved him. He didn't have a chance to produce any oranges. He didn't have a chance to to prove it. But remember, God knows. God knows a genuine faith when he sees it. And works are not required for salvation. So, is our faith dead without works? Yeah. It is when, in the way that it's mentioned, when a person puts their faith and trust in Christ, that there is going to be a changed life. But, no. Good works, or the lack of good works, doesn't mean that someone doesn't have a saving faith. What about this one? Someone that you know or hear of, They're in a terrible car accident. And they're paralyzed head to toe. They're at the hospital. You arrive at the hospital, and the doctors tell you that it's bleak. It's not looking good. They may not live much longer. They can't move. The only thing that they can do is just blink their eyes. That's all. So you go in... You tell them about what you know about Jesus because you're concerned for them and their eternity. And at the end of what you share with them about the gospel and Jesus, you ask them, Do you believe? Jesus as your Savior, Jesus as your Lord, do you believe that? And they blink their eyes once for yes. A few minutes later, they die. Do they go to heaven? Well, they had no good works. Obviously, only God knows their heart. But yes, they go to heaven because the saving faith comes from Jesus Christ. It doesn't come from the good works. The good works are just an evidence of it. And so there are some people who just don't... That Their faith in Christ is very short, and so they don't have the time to put their faith in Christ. So let's remember that good works don't produce the faith. Good works are an evidence of it. And if someone doesn't have good works, it could just be that it was a very short time span of their faith. But they're in heaven. Now, let's apply this. I think it's important that we apply this accurately here. Because I know, like, the visceral response of us once we hear all this is to start evaluating everybody else's fruit. Are they saved? Oh, I can see that. Oh, no, they don't. They definitely don't. They definitely don't. Oh, feel oh, so sorry for you. you know, I'm not pointing at anybody, just in general, this way. <laughs> but that's not the goal here. Remember, when we are learning from the Bible, when we are understanding things in context, we understand this. We read the thing, we find out what it means, and now that we've found out what it means, now we ask, what does this mean for me? Like, how do I, how do I, is there a universal truth in this message that these people got 2,000 years ago? Christians spread out around the world who were forced to move out of their homes because of persecution. Is there a universal truth that is true for me? Is there a truth that's universal for all of people for all of time? The answer is yes, of, a cor- of a course. And, and the application is not to look for it in everybody else. The application is to look forward in me. Ask yourself, can, can I see fruit of a saving faith in me? Can, can I... Can I tell in in the things that I do that I'm a changed person by Jesus? Can can I tell that I have a new life? What about my friends at school? Could they tell that I'm a Christian? What about my, my coworkers? Can they see the things that I do, the way that I live my life? Could they tell that I'm really saved, that I'm really a Christian? My family members, can they tell? Do they know? Now, it's possible you get to the end of those questions and you, could, you might realize, no, I don't see that in me, and I don't know if anybody else would either. Well, it's possible then that you've just been saying that you're a Christian all this time. Now, that's common, though. It's common to man. It doesn't have to remain that way. It's good news that you found that out now and not on Judgment Day. Today, you could put your faith in Christ. Today, you could put your genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Abandon all that thought of being a better person. Abandon all that thought of uh, pulling up my own bootstraps and finally getting better. Abandon all that stuff and put your faith in Jesus. He's died on the cross for your sin. It's a gift of grace. There's no works involved. You can have eternal life. You can have your sins paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so if that's the application for you, well, that's a great application. I want you to put your faith in Christ. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes? Whether you already know you're going to heaven or not, this just gives a person next to you a chance to consider these eternal things before God. And if you want to put your faith in Jesus, if you want to put your faith in Christ, Have your sins removed. Have your sins forgiven. Jesus' righteousness be reckoned to you as your sins are reckoned to Christ. All you do is you talk to him in faith. It's called prayer. You don't even have to say anything out loud. He knows what's on your mind. He can read your heart. So in the quietness of this moment, nothing else is happening. You have a chance to consider these things before God. And you just talk to him, not out loud, In your mind, he can read your mind. And this is what you could say. You could say, God, I know that I'm not perfect. I realize I've done things I shouldn't have done. And I realize that that separates me from you forever in a place called hell. And I know that I need a savior because of this. I need someone to rescue me. And I believe that Jesus is that savior. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe that he lived a perfect life. I believe that he died on the cross for me. I believe that his death was the payment for my sin. I put my trust, my faith in this Jesus. I want to be like Abraham in belief and his righteousness be reckoned to me. I even believe that Jesus rose from the dead. on Easter Sunday, and I put my faith and trust in this risen Savior, Jesus. Now, if your head's still bowed and your eyes still closed, the immediate promise is that God, the Holy Spirit, will come inside of you. And not only will you go to heaven when you die, but he will help you live a life that we've been talking about today. He's the one that will give you new life. He is the one that will change your ways. He is the one that will give you fruit in your life. He is the one that will produce good works. And so, God, that's why we worship you today. We worship you because of all of this. We thank you for your provision of your son dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for the amazing mercy and grace that that was. We thank you for the good works that come from your son when we have a saving faith. We thank you for the eternal salvation. And even we thank you for revealing it to us because you didn't have to. And yet you've told us so that we can know and we can have eternity with you. And we worship you for all these things. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.